What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we wrap up our series on the perfect summer after a year of lockdown. Summer officially began last Sunday and I have just one last recommendation on how you can spend the rest of it. We saw in our first week the importance of connecting with other people and all the benefits that come with that. Next we looked at connecting with God and how opening ourselves to a sense of awe can transform our world. Last week we celebrated our dads and grads and looked inward. What has God placed inside us? What gifts and talents do we have that can be a blessing to the world around us? We saw the talents of an artist, of a member of our congregation, Natasha, and a softball coach, Darren White, who many of you know. His team won the Bergen County Softball Championship in large part because of Darren's commitment to use the gifts God has given him to encourage and cheer others on. Now we look at our final area of connection after lockdown, and that is connecting with nature. We are going to hear from Marianne, our scripture reading for today from Proverbs 8. This is a book that offers lots of wisdom, lots of little short sayings to keep us on the right path with with God. But here we see a little bit longer saying that tells us how wisdom was there at the very beginning of creation, and that if we find wisdom, we will find life. Here now, Proverbs 8, 22 through 35. And, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Gay is going to come up and read it. Not Marianne, my apologies. You probably were very confused. Who's going to come up and read now? Gay is going to read it for us here this morning. My apologies. Proverbs 8, 22 through 35. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields, or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master worker, and I was, daily, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. And now, my children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Happy is one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And from, uh, first, uh, from John 1, 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in us your will through wisdom, power, and strength. May our hearts be transformed as we embrace the connections you have for us. In Christ we pray. Amen. 
Now, I know some of you, when I say we need to connect with nature after the pandemic, might be thinking that's the last thing that you need. For many people, going out in nature was about the only thing you could do during the pandemic. Our family went out hiking so many weekends, at one point my wife Emily stopped me and said, Brian, I am sick and tired of hiking. We have got to find something else to do. And she was right, of course. We did need to find a different activity to do as a family. But I think maybe the problem wasn't being out in nature. It's that we were constricted to such a small part of nature. I want us to consider something much bigger in terms of this connection. When Emily and I got married, it was on December 24th, 2009. Yes, Christmas Eve. Half the family hated it, and half the family loved the idea. And Emily and I... Uh, got all the best discounts because nobody gets married on Christmas Eve. We actually picked the date in honor of Emily's deceased grandparents who had been married themselves on Christmas Eve. But what I really want to tell you about is uh, how on our wedding, Emily and I wound up in hell. Uh, I'm not kidding. Stick with me. We really got married and within a week ended up in hell. We had initially struggled to pick a destination for our honeymoon. In the end, we had settled on Disney World, but because we were married just before Christmas, we had agreed together that for that year, we would give each other free Christmas gifts. My gift to Emily was a switch. Instead of Disney World, I had actually booked a trip to the Cayman Islands. Now, I don't recommend any newlyweds do, the things, uh, do things the way that I did. I found a great little bungalow on the island, so I booked it. But then I had to find a flight that wasn't outrageously priced. I kept checking and waiting for the price to go down, checking and waiting. I waited until December 23rd, the day before my wedding, to book the flight. Somehow, miraculously, I found a reasonable price. The drawback was that we had a few stops in between. Uh, Our layovers were all over the map. We had to fly from Philadelphia to Cincinnati, where we would change planes before staying overnight in Atlanta. From there, we would finally fly directly to Grand Cayman on a -a once-a-week flight to the islands. I know what you're thinking. You think I'm cheap for not booking a direct flight. You're thinking that the money I saved wasn't worth the inconvenience of all those extra flights. Well, you're wrong. It was far worse than that. (laughs) Our flight out of Philadelphia was just a little bit delayed, so when we landed in Cincinnati, it was like a scene from a movie. We grabbed our carry-on luggage, tried to politely scoot past everyone else deplaning, and ran as fast as we could through the airport to our next gate. When we arrived, we watched our plane slowly back out and taxi out to the runway where we raved, waved goodbye to our perfect honeymoon. It was getting late at night and we thought there was no way we were going to make it to Atlanta in time for the only flight going to the Caymans. In total despair, we talked to the airline agent. They typed a few things into their computer and voila, two gates over. 50 feet away was the next flight to Atlanta one hour later. (laughs) We arrived very tired, but without a problem. The next day, we were happily on our flight to the Caymans. When we landed, we realized the island is not terribly large, but what it lacks in size, it makes up for in beauty. The beaches were gorgeous. 
The sea was enormous. Seeing tiny boats pull up to the island only to realize as they got closer that they were actually cruise ships that dwarfed their surroundings was an incredible sight. But the part of the Cayman Islands that will always stick with me was when we wound up in hell. The first time, it was quite by accident. We were trying to go somewhere else and realized we were in the completely wrong place. So we decided to follow these strange little signs that pointed us to hell. It's actually a tiny town with eerie formations in it. There is this limestone, and wherever it had interacted with a certain kind of algae, you'll find these spongy-looking rocks that appear to have been charred black as coal. Some say the town got its name because people thought these rocks looked the way that hell must look. Emily and I saw it and were very impressed. It was really cool, but you couldn't walk on it. You couldn't explore the area, so it was a short visit. When we returned back to our bungalow, we were walking around there and realized that back behind the place that we were staying, they actually had their very own version of hell right there. It was awesome to explore, and, and I know that my excitement as a pastor and finding my very own little piece of hell must be so strange to you, but, but there it is. I got married, and the first thing I do is take my wonderful wife to hell. It's, it's just not right, but please forgive me. We have these beautiful memories, though, these beautiful pictures we'll always treasure of a place we travel to with nature that we will never forget. Now, I know not all experiences with nature are good. Just this past week, I noticed one of the trees back in the grove behind the church was dying, and, and I went and checked it out. It looked like poison ivy had grown up and around this enormous tree, but the ivy was so thick it was like a small tree wrapped around it. So I went and got out my axe because any excuse you can make up to get out your axe is a good reason in my mind, and I started wailing into that poison ivy. I have dealt with things like this time and time again throughout my life, and never once have I been poisoned. So I started to think, maybe I can't get poison ivy. And you know, of course, where the story is going, right? I hit the vine a few times, and chunks of it come flying out at me. One of the bigger pieces hit me in the leg. And the next day, right when I woke up, I reached down and scratched my leg, and then it felt even itchier. Huh, I thought, that's strange. Yep, it was poison ivy. First time in my life that I've gotten it. Emily was kind enough to coach me through the wonders of calomine lotion, I'm just glad I didn't get any on my face. That would not have been kind to you wonderful, lovely people here in the church this morning. Nature can give us both the good and the bad. It can be beautiful and inspirational, but it can also be ugly and very, very itchy. Yet despite how mixed our experiences with nature can be, I think it is a fundamental necessity to healthy living. I came across a new term this week called eco-psychology. It's the study of the effects the environment has on our psychological health. Lots of good things happen when we are out in nature. It can lower our blood pressure, it can make our immune system work better, and even improve our mood. One study of tens of thousands of people found that there is a clear line of how much time you need in nature in order to experience these benefits. How much time? 
120 minutes, two hours in one week. The strange finding was that you can spread it out over the whole week, 10 minutes here, 30 minutes there, but if you don't hit the two-hour mark, you won't experience any of the benefits of time in nature. It's almost as if our bodies require us to be out in nature every single week. I had mentioned this piece of eco-psychology wisdom to a couple of people, and they answered back with the obvious, I bet that's why people are so miserable in winter. Yeah, you need two hours out there, even if it's cold, even if it's blazing hot, get outside and embrace the world God has created for us. It will bring health and wholeness to us. In the book of Proverbs, we hear many bits of teaching and wisdom. Early on, we find that the book is from a father, King Solomon, taking down all the wisdom he has learned over his lifetime. He wants his son to grow. He wants his son to thrive. So he collects this wisdom to pass along all the valuable advice he can. Unfortunately, even King Solomon knows these Proverbs are useless if you are a fool just because you say wise things things doesn't make you any better. But he does say there are certain attributes that make us wise. And the writer names some of those things in the passage just before the one we read today. Proverbs 8.12, wisdom is prudence, wisdom is knowledge, and wisdom is discretion. You might be a little less familiar with the word prudence, but it means doing things today with an eye to the future. It's investing and preparing, that's prudence. Wise choices for your future. Wisdom is also knowledge. Learn what you can. Wisdom seeks out the best sources of knowledge. And the last part of wisdom is discretion. Knowing when to say something or do something and when not to. I certainly wish I had more discretion in my younger years. So that's the background for what wisdom is. And then we hear wisdom herself speak. She says, I was there at the beginning. Essentially, that wisdom was the very first thing God created. And the translation is a little muddy, but it's either wisdom was like a master craftsman working alongside God or a playful little child delighting in God's creation. Either way, I think it's a beautiful image of what it looks like for us to join in with wisdom. Wisdom is written all throughout God's creation. Romans 1 tells us the creation is the grand reminder of God's existence. We know God exists because of all that we see around us. Whether it's the ocean or the Grand Canyon, Angel Falls, or the pockmarked algae rocks of the Caymans. Nature announces to us that God is here. I love in the book of Job, it describes the behemoth and the leviathan. These are two creatures that we aren't quite sure what exactly they are. Some people say they're sea serpents and dragons. Others think, others think it's a hippopotamus and a crocodile. Whatever they are, Job says, they are the first of the great acts of God. And as Job thinks about these creatures, he is overwhelmed by the awesome power of God. He continues... I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. 
just pondering nature and the creatures in it transforms Job. He realizes his own shortcomings, his own inadequacy in comparison to God. You might say this knowledge, this fear of God because of nature is the beginning of wisdom. One last thing nature does is remind us of Jesus. There are plenty of parables Jesus teaches, short stories that connect us with what real life looks like. I think of Jesus talking about the wheat and the tares, which reminds us to be patient in judgment. There's also the story of the withered fig tree. Jesus helps us draw an analogy from nature to our own lives. If a person is not bearing good fruit, if they are not loving and kind, they are cursed. They are revealing a brokenness in their own lives. One last parable of Jesus. He tells the disciples, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Most of us would look at a mountain and say, yeah, no, you're not moving that. And that's exactly the point. These immovable objects, this thing that is obviously impossible, is now somehow possible when you are partnered with God. All these lessons flow from nature, and I think the church knows this. That's why you let Boy Scouts build the garden behind the playground. That's why you kept that grove of trees and put a beautiful chapel in it. That's why we are going to have a blessing of the animals service later today. Nature is good for us. God's creation teaches us lessons about God, about other people, and about ourselves. Nature invites us to live our lives with wisdom so we can learn and grow. How might you engage with nature this summer? How might you allow God to speak into your life through this beautiful world and the wisdom it can teach us? Maybe you will go on a personal spiritual retreat into nature like I will this week. Maybe you will study nature more deeply to learn the mysteries God has for us there. Or maybe you will care for plants in your yard or garden just as God cares for all of us. Let's close here. Francis Collins is a scientist. He was a medical student years ago and didn't think much about God then one day, one of his patients told him about her faith and asked him, what about you? What do you believe, doctor? In his own words, I stuttered and stammered and felt the color rising in my face. And I said, well, I don't think I believe in anything. But it suddenly seemed to him a terrible answer. He searched and read and one day had a life-changing encounter. He says, I had to make a choice. A full year had passed since I decided to believe in some sort of God. On a beautiful fall day, as I was hiking in the Cascade Mountains during my first trip west of the Mississippi, the majesty and beauty of God's creation overwhelmed my resistance. As I rounded a corner and saw a beautiful and unexpected frozen waterfall, hundreds of feet high, I knew the search was over. The next morning, I knelt in the dewy grass as the sun rose and surrendered to Jesus Christ. 
Francis Collins would go on to be a key player in the Human Genome Project. In 2007, he wrote a New York Times bestselling book, The Language of God, where he shared about science and his faith in God. Nature taught him something about God. Nature transformed his worldview. It led him to a deeper and fuller relationship with Jesus Christ. And the same can happen for you. It can make you healthier. It can make you wiser. And it can deepen your spirituality. If you'll spend some time in nature, you're bound to hear the wisdom of God speak. It's the perfect way to spend a summer after a year of lockdown. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.